Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. If you would, why don't you please honor uh, Pastor Jim Hennessy as he comes to the stage tonight. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Wow, thank you. You're awesome. You're awesome. Thank you, guys. I just love you. I love being with you. What a great, what a great group. And you're the, you're the Monday night crowd. I mean, that's amazing, right? Just like, Mel, are you sure anybody's going to show up? And look at you. You're, you're here. Um, if there are skeptics among us who believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't have input into these services, it's, I'm trying to persuade you that uh, he does because uh, tonight's talk is going to be about trusting God, of all things. We're going to talk about trusting God. Um, I just want to push this just a little bit. I felt like when, when the Holy Spirit was on Todd in such a powerful way and, and he, was, he was pushing a little bit, I felt like I got kind of a, like a message from the Holy Spirit that said one of the things that um, either individuals or maybe more than one need to lay down actually was a, was a grave injustice that has happened to you. I feel like it might have happened um, in, a, in a marketplace setting, like a contract was breached, and, and you were actually thinking about um, whether or not you were going to go to legal remedy to recover that, and it just, it's just gnawing at you, and it's distracting you. And I felt like the whole, that was one of the things that specifically somebody was supposed to you know, lay down tonight. So if that, um, if that encourages you in any way, then... That's good. One of the things that my people really don't like about me <clears throat> is um, that I try to be funny and I'm not. <laughs> and so they're, they're always like, Jim, just don't tell jokes. Just, just preach. But I can't. I want to be funny so much that my friend, Mike Robertson, he actually wrote a joke book just for, just for me, okay? He wrote a book. So I don't tell jokes, but I read jokes. And now that, now that you know me a little bit, I'm going to just take the risk, all right, because I'm not going to be here, you know, much longer and I have to, have to get this in. So my congregation is trained that when I read a joke, even if it's not funny, they laugh just out of courtesy. It's just it's a courteous culture, you know what I'm saying? So if you'd like to help me out, that'd be fine. Um, a man died and he went to the pearly gates. Peter asked his name. After the man gave his name, Peter checked the record, said, I'm sorry, sir. Our policy is that you must have more good deeds than bad ones, and you're dead even. <clears throat> the man asked if Peter knew about the time he helped the elderly lady across the street. Yeah, that one's here. How about all the work I did at the church? Yeah, I see, I see those. He mentioned everything he could think of, and finally the man says, well, what about the time I was driving down the road and I saw a motorcycle gang beating up an old lady? Peter looked and said, hmm, I'm not finding that one. Tell me what happened. He said, well, first the man said, probably I, I kicked over several motorcycles. That's good, said Peter. And then I saw the leader, the man continued. He had a ring in his nose and a chain attached to his belt loop, and I just reached up and yanked that chain real hard. Peter was impressed. Wow, how long ago was that? About three minutes ago. <laughs> okay, you did so good, I'm just gonna give you one more, all right? <clears throat> 
three guys showed up at the pearly gates at the same time. Peter said, if you can tell me what Jesus and the resurrection means, you can get in. The first guy said, isn't that when the jolly guy in the red suit shows up around Christmas time? The second guy chimed in, no. He's the leprechaun guy that appears around the middle of March wearing a green suit and everyone gets pinched. The third guy shakes his head at both of them and confidently states, Jesus was crucified. They buried him. Peter said, that's it. That's it. Keep going. And he was scheduled to rise on the third day until he saw his shadow. And then it was seven more weeks of bad weather. <laughs> All right, that's it. No more, no more, I promise. No more baseball, no more baseball analogies and no more uh, efforts at humor. Um, sermon, the message, the, the talk tonight is about, um, is entitled, Show Me Your Faith. Show Me Your Faith. And the text um, is kind of, a, you know, one that you might think appropriate for that. It's out of James chapter 2. And, um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of scripture tonight. So I, I hope, you, um, hope you can kind of do a Bible study with me a little bit. 2.14 of James, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, keep well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You know, I think I'll just pause right there. Um, this is God's word. If you hang out at church very much, faith is a word that you're familiar with, and yet it's it's not a word without some controversy. It's not a word without some confusion. Um, my personal motto regarding faith is actually a verse of scripture, and it's and it's this: Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, um, I remember my very first building program in, in Leeds, Alabama. We, it was back in the day when you could actually kind of do a barn raising and you could get all the people together and you could build the church yourself. And that's what we were doing. And uh, it was one of those hot summer days and we were all carrying bags of concrete and, you know, big old blocks. And, oh, my goodness, we were so exhausted. And this, this, uh, this guy walks up and he he gathers us all up, says, I got something really important, and, and we're all members of the church. He gathers us up, and he says, I, I just want you to know that if you really had faith, you could just pray, and this building would just come up all by itself. I says, well, brother, let's just join hands and see what happens, you know. Um, we know that faith is important. By, by grace, through faith, you're, you're saved, the Bible says. Um, we know just a little bit of faith carries a lot of punch because Jesus said if you have it just like a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move, and the mountain will move. We, 
we know that if you read God's word and you don't mix it with faith, then it doesn't really do you any good to read God's word. You have to have faith when you read the scripture. We know that Jesus' biggest frustration with his followers had to do with faith. He was always saying stuff like this. Huh? You have such little faith. <laughs> and and, and he, he was saying, how long will I have to put up with this faithless generation? <laughs> you, you know, we know that faith pleases God. And we know that faith quenches fiery darts from, from the enemy. I actually love that Jesus on a couple of occasions was astonished by people's faith. Um, he, was, he was flabbergasted when the Roman centurion said, oh, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word, and my, uh, my child will be healed. And Jesus like, that, oh, I wish Israel had faith like that. And, you know, how about the woman who, the Gentile woman who said, you know, Jesus, I know that I'm not really in the right, in the right church here, but can I just have the leftovers? Can I just have the scraps? And Jesus marveled at, at her faith, or the woman, you know, who gave an offering of her mites, and Jesus noticed it, and he's like, that woman's going to be talked about. Her faith's going to be talked about forever. When it comes to the last days, I don't think Jesus was worried about it, but he asked the question anyway. He says, I just wonder, will there be any faith found in the earth at the last day? So what, what, what about faith? What's the deal? I mean, what if our faith, what if our faith was strong? Well, then, of course, we would overcome the world. That's what the Bible says. It says that we would, we would overcome the world. And that's really my passion. It's a passion for my church, and it's my passion for you. I, we're living in a pretty dysfunctional world. I mean, the, God's great world, his great creation is broken. But just because the world is broken doesn't mean you have to be. How many of you actually believe, there's the key word, believe. How many of you actually believe that you can live pretty good in a dysfunctional world? You can, you can be whole, you can be strong, you can be, you can be pure, and that's really the passion that, that I have over this year. And here's the main thing I want to teach you about faith today is simply this. Faith, what's the verb? Establishes, it, it, it controls, it, it governs your heart. I, to say it as clearly as I possibly can, it's like your heart has a root in it, and whatever is in your heart arrived there through the root of trust, you see. I mean, whatever comes into your heart, your ideas, your affections, your values, that really is your, your faith. I think Jeremiah captures this brilliantly in, in, in Jeremiah 17. Such insight. I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah 17.5. He says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, cursed is the man who trusts in man, who depends on his flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands and will not see prosperity. All right, let me just try that again. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the, in the wasteland. We call those sagebrush things, you know, just, they're just blowing along, tumbleweeds, you know. He'll be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted by the water and sends roots by the stream it does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves will always be green. It has no worries in a year of drought 
and never fails to bear fruit. Now, Jeremiah, he's such a unique prophet because he's writing to a culture that is very fragmented. It's, it is not a coherent culture. In other words, the, the, culture, the, the, the power brokers of the culture can't even agree on big questions in the culture. Questions like, um, what's right? What's wrong? They don't, they don't know in Jeremiah's day. Like, what should our society look like? What's, you know, what, are, what are the solutions to our big problems? And the power holders in Jeremiah's culture are offering different visions about, about life. And the reason I love to read Jeremiah is because I think we're living in a fractured culture too. Um, I mean, there used to be some agreement in, in the United States. There used to be some agreement about whether Israel was our ally or not, you know. There used to be some agreement about, uh, about the source for moral authority. You know, there used to be some agreement about sanctity of life, all, all those kind of things. And now we're just living in a really fractured society. And the problem with living in a, in a fractured society is that... Um, Systems of thought become like a cafeteria. Um, you, 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 you go through the line and you pick and you choose what seems true, what seems right. And the result is what you believe, you, you, you tend to believe loosely. Right? Uh, uh, you, you, tend to, you tend to say, oh, that this is the truth and I'm holding it with an open palm because I never know what the scientist is going to discover next week, you know. So I'm holding truth, I'm holding truth loosely, and, and I think that's kind of the modern position. I'm not trying to pick on the culture, I'm just trying to describe it as I see it. I think, I think the modern position of culture is basically, it doesn't really matter that much what you believe, just be a good person. Have you ever heard anything like that? It doesn't really matter what you believe, just, you know, just be a good person. And, and if there is someone, like I think maybe some some of us who are in this room, if there's someone who has sincere faith, that is to say, no, 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 we believe and, and, and we're not going to negotiate and we believe it's true. And, and the world will look at us and say, you're so naive. And they might say, you're so dangerous. You see, it's so much better if you just stay open-minded and you stay secular and, and, and don't be a person of faith. That's what they'll say. Don't be a person of faith. But the point that Jeremiah makes, and, and I think, again, he makes it brilliantly, and, and it challenges not only his thinking, the, the thinking in his day, but it challenges our modern thinking. Is He's like, you don't even know how the human heart works. He's like, you don't even understand. Jeremiah says, whoever thinks that there are some people who have faith in God, and they're the naive ones, they're the narrow-minded people, while there are other people, and they're very open-minded because they don't live by faith. You know, they, they live by science, or, or they, they don't, don't impose their belief systems on, on other people. To them, Jeremiah screams. I think he screams. The Bible doesn't say he screams, but I think he screams. He says, look, don't you get it? All hearts live by faith. Every heart lives by every heart trusts in something. And, and I mean, that's right there. He's like, verse 5, cursed is the one who trusts in man. Verse 7 is, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It's the same word. There's absolutely no difference. And he's just like, don't you get it? Every heart is going to trust in something. And whatever you trust in is going to determine the outcomes and the conditions of your life. Whatever your heart grips and holds to is going to influence the outcomes of your life because it's in your heart just as much as whatever you put in your, put in your body influences the outcomes of your body. 
whatever comes into your heart is going to influence the outcomes of your heart. That makes sense to you, does it not? And, and Jeremiah contrasts the image. He says, one life is going to be like a tree. It's got deep roots. It goes to where the water is. How many of you are glad Jesus gives us living water, you know? And then so he, he says, there's deep roots, goes by the stream, and it flourishes. And the other is just like a shrub. It tries to go down. It tries to, it, it's marshy, it's salty, it's blown around. And, and, and yet here's the point I'm trying to make through Jeremiah. Everybody has faith, and faith is going to determine the outcomes of your life. That's what he says. I have a, I have a group of guys, young, young college guys, not to pick on the college guys, but these guys, you know, they, they view themselves as intellectuals. And um, I meet with them occasionally, and they don't believe in God. They're atheists. And when they say to me, you know, I don't believe in God, Jim, you know, how can you believe in God, you know? prove to me that there's a God. And, and they'll say, oh, it's better to be open-minded, Jim. You know, they'll, they'll say, all that really matters in life is to be a good person. And if there is a God, it really doesn't even matter what you believe about him because, you know, he's a God that's just out there detached, whatever. Well, when they tell me that, they're announcing their faith. They're declaring their faith. They're revealing what, in what their heart trusts. You see, and actually they're making radical theological assumptions about the nature of the universe and, and the nature of God. And I cannot prove to them that God exists, and they cannot prove to me that God doesn't exist. So all that we really have is a standoff of our faith. You see. But they don't think they live by faith. They think I'm the only one in the room living by faith. This, again, I'm just looking for, am I... Are you with me? Okay. Um, they, think, they think I'm the only one that lives by faith. Well, that's what James is speaking to. He's, he begins his letter by offering this incredible profile of a person who has faith in God. He, he's, it's amazing. He says, yeah, yeah, there will be various tests and trials. I like the word various because that means whatever you're going through fits in the category, okay? So there's going to be various tests and there's going to be various trials. And, and then he says, yet whoever lives from in genuine faith in God, and, and he says they're not going to be double-minded people. They're not going to trust in the world's wisdom. He says these people who have faith in God, and there's this incredible portrait. They lack nothing. They are emotionally whole. In verse 6, it says they will ask in faith without doubting. We're, this is the Bible study part right here. They, the heaven will come down into the earth for them. They will live a crown of life. That doesn't mean something they'll get in heaven. It means they'll have authority here in the earth. He, he says they'll be blessed in everything they do. He says, they will remain unspotted by the world. And, and he just, the theme over and over, the key to this amazing, wisdom-filled, demon-defeating, war-avoiding life is not correct doctrine. Correct doctrine is important, but it's not correct doctrine because he inserts this little thing, this little thing. He goes, yeah, even the demons believe correctly. It's, it's not... It's not doctrine, it's faith. It's not mental agreement with the story of Jesus, it's faith. 
And there's a huge difference. And, and let me just pause here because I'm, I'm building to go somewhere today. Um, double-mindedness does not mean one minute I have doubt and then one minute I have faith. Double-mindedness is a person who believes in the doctrines of salvation. You, you understand the story, but you're refusing to fight the fight of faith in order to attain faith's outcomes. It's like, yeah, I believe, but I don't know why I believe. I'm just detached from all that. You know, what's the use of trying to hold on to my faith? because nothing's really working out, you see. That's, that's a double-minded person. Oh, you probably, I know you've heard this story if you've been in church at all because every pastor everywhere has used this story, but it's like the guy who's, the stranger showed up at the Grand Canyon and he stretched the cable across the Grand Canyon and, and he, everybody said, why are you doing that? And he's like, well, do you believe? Do you believe I can walk across this? And they're laughing and mocking. Nobody can walk across the Grand Canyon Cable, but he did. And so he looked at him. He says, do you believe now? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we saw you do it. And so he says, uh, he gets a wheelbarrow. He says, do you believe that I can walk across this cable of the Grand Canyon with a wheelbarrow? And they're like, uh, no. And they made fun of him. But he did with a wheelbarrow. And so he says, do you believe now that I can walk across it? You've heard this, right? You've heard this? Says, you haven't? I should fill in the details for you. He's like, oh, do you believe now that I can walk across this cable with a wheelbarrow in the Grand Canyon? He says, yeah, yeah, we just saw you do it. He says, okay, then get in the wheelbarrow while I push it across. One of those is faith. It's one thing to believe. The doctrine, the story, the experience is another thing to say. I'm giving it, I'm giving it my all. I'm, put, I'm getting, I'm, anyway. Faith in God is when your heart finds its root in God and, and, and the strength of your heart and, and the support of your heart and the structure for your heart. And, and you know you have faith in God when your heart is expressing through your decisions and your words and your actions, it's like this sucking sound out of the nature, the substance of God into your heart, and then out of your heart comes this experience. How many of you believe that one of the great inventions of our lifetime is the plastic straw? I love McDonald's straws, right? Because they never, some of you aren't even old enough to know, we used to have to drink out of paper straws, and if you tried to do the, anyway, I, you, you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying there is a continuous flow of whatever you're trusting in into your heart, it is unobstructed, and out of your heart there is expression of what you truly trust. Now, I've laid, I've laid the foundation piece for tonight's, tonight's message, and so here's the outline. Um, one, more little, one more little caveat. What do you think is the difference? What do you think is the difference between somebody who, who faces a trial and overcomes it and somebody who gives in? What, what do you think is the difference between somebody who can stand firm in the midst of a temptation or a persecution as compared to some others who'll just sell their soul for a bowl of sex or, you know, or to get their new book on the New York Times bestseller list? And, and what is the difference between some Christians who stay angry for years because they got offended at the you know, whoever and, and others that just make peace with all that? What, what's the difference? And, of course, the answer is listen to the rest of this sermon. Um, Here's the outline. Faith's function, faith's competition, and some practical applications. Um, faith's function. 2.18 of James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Verse 22 says, when you see, when you see 
Abraham's faith and actions working together, we know his faith was made complete by what he did. So what's the nature of faith? It's this, to show something. The nature of faith is to show. Whatever is the central characteristic of your heart is gonna be shown to the world by what you say and by what you do. That's the thesis of James. James says, if your faith is not showing something, if your faith is not showing God, then your faith probably isn't in God. If your faith isn't showing God, your faith probably isn't in God. And, and the principle, if you are taking notes, this is one, okay? Your principle is faith is the means by which the invisible God is made visible and present. Faith is the means by which the invisible God is made visible and, and present. I mean, come on, why did God even create the earth in the first place? Well, uh, to express his glory. I mean, I, I've, been, uh, um, I've been watching birds lately. I don't know why. You, you, have, you have nice birds here. They're all freezing right now. But I've just been watching birds. And, you know, I mean, woodpeckers and bluebirds and eagles and owls and pelicans and ostriches and hummingbirds. And do we really need all those birds? I mean, seriously, do we really need all those different kinds and colors of birds? And the answer, of course, is yes, because they uniquely display the glory of God. Birds show the greatness of God. How many of you believe? You believe God is good, right? He made all this good stuff so that his goodness can be shown. And I've got real deep revelation for you right now. You're greater than a bird. You're greater than a bird. And when you live with your heart aware of the substance of God, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, when your root goes down into the revelation of who God is, then your life will show God. Or to say it another way, your life, your faith will mediate God. God's magnificence requires mediation. Yeah. Something has to mediate the infinite glory of God into finite space. It's always been that way. Uh, and that's why there was an Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, because the great glorious God would say, no, this will be my place. Wherever, wherever you carry the Ark of the Covenant, that'll be, you'll mediate the tabernacle, the temple. Those were places where the presence of God mediated. That's why when God came into the earth, he came in a manger as a, as a human being because there was a mediation of the glory of God into one person. Again, this is making sense to you. Yes, the, the principle is that human faith in God mediates the glory of God. So, so so that when you do something, when you say something that announces or displays your trust in God, you're literally taking the infinite glory of the omnipotent God and you're mediating it into a specific place and circumstances. That'd be a really good place to say amen right there. That's what your faith does. It brings it into, into the trouble. You're facing. I, we, this is Lent, and, and during Lent, we have a thing in our church just called Exercise Your Faith, and we, we ask, we encourage everybody to just walk or jog their neighborhoods in prayer. And we have this map out in the foyer, and we mark off every Sunday all those streets that have been, we've been doing that for a few years. And so Kevin and Tanya Lee, they, they go to our church, and 
they gave a testimony this year. Last year, they, they walked all of the streets of their neighborhood, praying over their neighborhood. Their neighborhood happened to be, uh, I think it was number three on the most crime neighborhood in the Dallas Metroplex last year. They, all these markers of, of they, they, you can go online and see where the crimes take place. And there's this really, really filled with crime and drugs. And, and they walked it last year, and they gave testimony this year that their neighborhood has not I, this is this sounds like hyperbole but it's not their their neighborhoods have not had one crime in it this year since January of this year <clears throat> um, and, and they said every time a drug addict would move out of the neighborhood a drug not addict but a what do you call those guys that just distribute the drugs push or whatever it is every time they would move out a preacher would move in and I'm I'm just like I'm not sure that's good for the neighborhood but <laughs> But that, that was their testimony. And I'm giving you that as a story to, to let you know that what happened was their faith mediated the glory of God into their neighborhood. And everybody knows that God could have stopped the crime in their neighborhood without them walking through their neighborhood. But if that's the way it happened, we wouldn't be telling their story right now. Their, their, their work was their faith. And their faith showed God showed God to the, to the neighborhood and to our church because I told that same story to, to our church. On the other hand, same thing, but a little different. Christians are being beheaded in Pakistan and Syria right now. And every time those Christians die without denying Christ, their faith is mediating the glory of God into the earth. And I'm just telling you, you already know this. You wouldn't be here on the Monday night if you didn't already know this. Our stories, our offerings, our healings, our steadfastness in persecution, our forgiven sins, all the things that we are and all the things that we do and all the things that we say make manifest the king and his kingdom in the earth. Our faith mediates the glory of God. So, so that's why James is so clear and he's so brilliant. Because he just says it over and over. He says, your words, your deeds mediate the spiritual substance of God. Your, your relationships, your yard work, your career, your playtime, the way you raise your children, everything that comes out of your heart is coming from the root that you are trusting in. And, and, and whatever your heart truly trusts in is going to be displayed, you know, by, by, by your life. That's why you ought to tip well at the restaurant. Because it's, it's just creating, it's showing something that you trust in. You didn't like that part, right? All right, so that's point number, that's point number one. Point number two, faith has a competition. Jeremiah said you can trust in man, you can trust in the Lord. Um, James 4, James says, James 4, 4 says, Adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? How about 1 John chapter 5, verse 4? It says, everyone that is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes. Huh. 1 John 2, 15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, everything in the world, cravings of man, Lust of the eyes, boasting of what he has done, of, of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, um, world is not the term 
for when God created the heavens and the earth. It's not the term for the people in the world. When we use the, the idea here of the world, we're talking about alternative trust. We're talking about what people put their faith in besides faith in God. So, so when you say we trust in the world or we trust in man, we're saying there are values and there are systems that really inoculate your heart from living near to God. It, it, it chokes the root. It, it, it provides alternative, alternative trust. Now, you know, oh my gosh, that the battle for what your heart will trust in is severe. The battle for what, don't be naive. Don't, don't think, oh yeah, I just trust in the Lord. No, no, no. The battle for what you really trust in is severe. Um, John, you know, writes the letter and he says, there are three things that are just grabbing at your heart all the time. You're going to trust in the things that you see, your, your experiences, your, 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 your the advertisements, or you'll trust in the things that you crave. You, you know, if I could just get that house at the lake, if I could just, you know, then I'd be significant. If I could just get the girlfriend, I, then I'd be significant. Number three, you know, I, I might trust in the pride of life. I, I trust in my accomplishments and my sensitivities and my, my successes. And James, I, you know, this is a whole nother, I'm, I'm running out of time here, so let me just kind of do some brief stuff on this. But James says, and those three battles take place in, those three opportunities for, other, for alternative trust, they really take place in three arenas. And he says, it happens around temptation. James has it, you know, verse, verse 12 and 13 of chapter 1. He says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. When he tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted. Um, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire when he is dragged away. And it's, so James says, one of the great battle places for your, battle arenas for your faith is going to be in, in temptation. And, and yet, James, and I'm not taking a lot of time to show you all this, but James knows that the only way that you really are going to grow your faith is when you come through the temptations. The only way you're really going to grow faith is when you come through, through the test. I mean, we're Pentecostals, right? So we all wish that we could just kind of sprinkle gold dust or whatever and everybody would just grow in their faith. Eh, no. You have to go through some stuff if you're going to be strong in faith. You, 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 just, you just are. And when you go through tests, you know, in trials, that's the main way that you remember that you actually do need God. I mean, whenever you're, oh my goodness, when, when things are going well, you're willing to take credit for it. When things are going bad, you're like, God, you're so unfair to me. And the thing that I know about temptation, I'm teaching a little bit about temptation here. The thing you know about, the thing that you need to know about temptation is it's always very personalized for you. The devil really knows a lot about you. I mean, I... I have not been tempted in a long time to turn stones into bread. You know? I just haven't. It's been a long time since I wanted to turn stones into bread. But for Jesus, I, it, was, it was really hard. He hadn't had any bread for 40 days. 
So the temptation to turn stones into bread was personalized for, for him. And, there, and to Je again, Jesus' temptation, you know, there were just two things there. There was hunger and there was power. That was, that was the avenue. That was the venue. And, and Satan kept saying, why don't you use your power to stop your hunger? Why don't you fulfill your legitimate desires illegitimately? That's what, that's what the temptation was. And, and I guess they'll... What I'm suggesting is you need to know yourself as well as the devil knows you so that you can know where your vulnerable stuff is. Stuff is you know. And then the other thing about temptation is that we, we know that there's always a conversation that goes on with temptation. Like the devil is talking and God is talking and one of those voices is always going to win and that the one that wins establishes the root of your heart. The second arena that James says there, where there's always a fight for your faith is, is in doubt or, or in deception. And can I just kind of help you? Can I be really, I almost said raw, but just honest, deeply. Listen, every believer doubts. I mean, I know we can't talk about it in church because it's like, no, 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 we're not supposed to doubt. But let's just be honest. Everybody, everybody doubts. And the Bible's approach to doubt is so much more gracious than those of us who are religious actually give credit for. Because the Bible's approach to doubt is something like this. Look, everybody doubts, but don't stay in your doubt when you get there. I mean, Thomas, you know, he, he, he saw Jesus die. Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus Jesus called for a Monday night meeting that he was going to reveal himself. On the Monday night meeting, Thomas didn't make the meeting. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so, you know, and, and he, he's the doubter. He, he's like, I'm not going to believe in Jesus that he rose from the dead unless I touch his scars. And you know, and you know what is so cool about Jesus? He gave Thomas what he needed. In fact, Thomas ended up with an expanded view of God because of his doubt. Oh my, it's the, only, it's the only confession of the deity of Jesus Christ in the whole gospel of John. It came from doubting Thomas. He said, my Lord, my God. He, because he came through his doubt, he had an expanded view of who God was. And so, and so the battle is temptation and the battle is doubt. And, and then, you know, the third arena in which we really, really, have to battle for our faith is, um, yeah, I don't really need, I don't really need all that. Let me go back to James for just a minute. Um, the, the real battle has to do with, the real battle of doubt has to do with deception. There are a couple of areas that, get, that, you know, the devil wants to deceive you, wants to deceive you about God. Is he really good? It was to deceive you about yourself. Are you really saved? Those are, the, those are the two areas. And what James does after he talks about this, these battles for the root of your heart, he comes back and he just says, you, have, you must drive down the reality that every good and perfect gift comes from God. You just need to know that God is good. You need to, that's the root, that's the place that, 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 that you want to go. And I want to tell you why I'm, why I'm preaching this to you today, because I need to hear it again. Um, I don't know, the last, I've been saved since I was four years old. I'm 58 years old now, so 
I really never backslid. I mean, in high school, in high school, I did a few things I'm embarrassed about, you know, but I kind of walked with the Lord all my life. In the last few weeks, I have been so tempted um, to just to live in self-pity. And, and you're like, how could you live in self-pity? You pastor one of the great churches in America. You, your wife loves you. You, got, you don't know about my kids, but they're okay too. I don't know. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I'm tempted to live in self-pity. There are four things that I'd trace it to. Number one is I had this fall in Mexico in a hotel room, and it gave me whiplash, and I just, I just didn't like it. It made me mad. The second thing that happened was my best friend of 10 years passed away. His name was Chewbacca. He, he, he was a chow mix, and I went everywhere with this dog. He was a legend in our church. Everybody knew about Chewbacca, and he died prematurely. He shouldn't have died. And you're like, are you kidding me? You're feeling sorry for yourself because your dog died? My goodness gracious, my parents died this year, my, whatever it is. And I can't, I'm embarrassed. I am embarrassed that I'm tempted to self-pity, but I'm just telling you what's happening in my heart. The third thing is I got sick. I never get sick. I got sick and started feeling sorry for myself. And the fourth thing that happened was there was a lady who was helping us build a missions um, house after, after my mother-in-law in honor of my mother-in-law in Cambodia. And she got cancer and she suffered and, 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 and she died a couple of weeks ago. And, and here's the point I'm trying to make with you. I'm just down in this, like, this temptation to doubt. Are you, are you ready? You wish you had another guest speaker tonight, right? You're like, give us somebody that's got some victory here. What's wrong with you? I'm just, I'm just down in this, this, everybody doubts. I'm just down in this, in this doubt. And all of my friends, they try to cheer me up, but the reality is I don't want to cheer up. I want to be sad. Can anybody relate to this at all? I, I want to I be sad. And then here comes Sunday and i got to preach. So I've got this pressure to, you know, <clears throat> to preach well and to, and to have faith and to, and, to, and to put on a happy face, you know. And, and the whole time I'm, I'm trying to put on a happy face, I'm, I'm, I'm facing a temptation. I'm not going to rob a bank. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm, I'm not going to commit sexual sin. But there's a, deep, there's a deep struggle in my heart about the root. There's a, what, there's a fracture in, in my heart. And I, can just, I have a testimony. I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to stop believing in God. But what I might do is constrict the, the root a little bit about the goodness of God and about who I am in Christ and and there's a real battle for, you know, for controlling what's going to control my heart. And I'm telling you this story because I don't want you to think that overcoming the world means being happy all the time. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm here to help you, right? I, I don't want you to think that overcoming the world means being happy all the time. Next time I come, if pastor invites me to come back, I'll preach happy sermons, I promise. All right, we'll just be happy, happy, happy. We'll be the happy church. But overcoming the world has to do with what are you going to lean against when difficult times come? Proverbs says, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all, thank you, with all my heart. I'm going to lean not to my own understanding, but in all my ways I'm going to acknowledge him. Um, let me just close by point three. How faith helps us live really well. This is the practical part of the sermon. Um, James 5.15 says, 
the prayer of faith will save the sick. And that means anything that's going on, a prayer of faith is going to help you. And I think there are four ways. Here they are. You ready? Number one, faith makes you transcendent. Oh, my goodness. This is in your Bible. Faith is of a grain of a mustard seed. You speak to a mountain, it will move. That's in your Bible. Can I tell you how you know if you're spiritually healthy or not? There are two ways. If you are capable of loving people well and you believe that there is something inside you that makes you greater than you appear, you are transcendent. If you have success in love and you believe you are transcendent as a human being, that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling inside of you, you are a healthy believer. Those two things. Faith makes you transcendent. I don't have these memorized, so I have to come back up here. You thought it was almost over because I was down there. But number two. Faith offers clarity to my life. You see, I'm not here on the earth to attain earthly riches that are going to fade away. I'm not here to have friendships with the world. And and therefore, you know, I'm going to show God by honoring the poor, and I'm going to visit the orphans and the widows, and I'm going to firmly grip the promises of God, and I'm going to invite people toward this gospel because my faith my faith is being expressed. What I'm connected to is being expressed by the way I live. This clarifies my life. The third thing about faith is it, it, does, it just overcomes. It overcomes because when your root is connected to trusting in God, out of that root there comes to your heart whatever you need for whatever you face. Let's try that again. Whatever you need for whatever you face comes through that root of trusting in God. The fourth thing is that faith, faith makes it personal. I know a lot of believers, again, they're probably all in Dallas, there's none here in Indiana, but I know a lot of believers who have a lot of data about God, but they're not really personal with God. They don't really know what it's like to, to... how many of you understand there's a difference in that God died for the sins of the world and he died for my sins. There's a huge difference in that sentence. There's a huge difference between God heals the sick, he heals my sickness. See, faith makes it personal. I had this, I had this story embedded in this sermon. It felt like I skipped over stuff. It's, it was a story about Asaph. It's a, he's a songwriter. He's a psalmist. and I think it's Psalm 47, maybe. He says, my feet almost slipped when I looked at the people who were prospering that didn't trust in God. Asaph, I mean, he's so honest. He's kind of did what I did for you. It's like, I mean, he's a songwriter. He's, 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 his name's in the Bible, you know what I'm saying? It's like my feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I, can I just tell you that if you're dealing with doubt, there are two things that are going on in you right now. The first is you've had an experience that causes your heart to detach from the promises of God. The promises of God seem unreal to, you, to your heart because you saw something. You had an experience and you started thinking about it. Right? If you're struggling with doubt, maybe nobody in the room is, but if you're struggling with doubt, here's how you came to doubt. You had an experience... 
and you started thinking about it. And that, that experience and those thoughts caused the promises of God to seem unreal to your heart. We had a, we had a, we had a declaration over our church a few years ago that our church would be a cancer-free zone. And, we, and we've, we took hold of that promise and we decided that anybody that came to our church, our church has about, we have a, we had about 5,200 people worship with us every weekend. So there's a lot of people, you know, who are gonna be free of cancer. And we held on to that. And, and for the first couple of years, it was like everybody that had cancer got healed. Supernatural, it was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And then after about two years, <laughs> the superstar testimony who was on our website, <laughs> who had been miraculously healed of cancer, contracted cancer again and died. And I'm like, what is that? What is that? Does that make the promises of God untrue? Does that make the root of my heart constrict so that I can't trust in Him anymore? I had an experience and I started thinking about it. So what are you going to do if that's happened to you? Because it has happened to you unless you're 15 years old. If you're really young, then you haven't bled yet. But everybody else, you've had an experience and you've thought about it, and the problem is it leaves you in doubt. So what are you going to do? Well, here's, here's what Asaph did. He said, I stayed in doubt until I came back into the sanctuary of God. And you know what he did? He, he did the very same thing. He said, I'm going to relocate. I'm, so, some of your doubt is, it just has to do with your location. You're just hanging out with doubters all the time. And so that feeds the nourishment of the root of your heart. But he says, I'm just going to go back into the sanctuary of God. And he put himself in a place where the reality of God seemed more likely. He came to church for goodness sake. He sang the songs of worship. And he had another experience with God. He just leveled the playing field. He says, if I'm going to experience doubt, some of the wisest I need to calm down again. The wisest thing you can do when you, when you get in doubt is be faithful to the places where you might experience God again. I mean, it's only fair. If you're going to experience doubt, come to the place where, where God can speak to you. See, and, and so he experienced God and he began to think about it. He began to think about it like this. He began to say, wait a minute. I, I haven't been completely objective. He says, I envied those guys. And so it's right there in the song. He says, I envied those guys. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going, you thought, I'm teasing you because I'm down here. I'm supposed to be done by now, but I'm not. I'm just, I got stuff flowing inside of me right here, right here. So here's the deal. How many of you know that atheists are not objective? They don't want God to exist. Because if God exists, they're going to have to live differently. How many of you, how many of you believe, how many of you believe young people, you know, they don't want fidelity to marriage to be a doctrine of the New Testament because they want sexual promiscuity, so they're not objective about that. How many of you believe people that love money don't want tithing to be a doctrine in the New Testament? They want that to be legalism in the Old Testament. And that's what Asaph did. He, he thought it through and he says, you know what? I'm not being objective about those guys. He says, I was envious of them. I was envious. And then he had another thought. And what he thought then is really the key to the whole thing. He says, he says, and Lord, I see 
that their faith can slip too. He says, you put them in a slippery place. He says, when I came into the sanctuary of God, I, re- I saw that their faith was more vulnerable than my faith. They're in a slippery place. And, and he becomes so honest. He says, I'd rather have my portion than their portion. He's, he says, you know what? He, he says, I don't understand all this whole experience that's going on. But when I see what they're trusting in, he says, I know I could never go. My heart could never rest in what they're trusting in. And, and so what he's got is this dilemma. He's like, there's this big gap. If I keep going forward, I'm going to have to get past this experience that I, is confusing me. He says, but there's a big gap behind me. If I decide to go back, says, I can't go back there because I see how vulnerable those guys are too. Asaph came through his doubt. And the same thing happened for him that happened for Thomas. He ended up with an expanded view of God. He's like, oh my goodness. He's like, you've been with me this whole time. He says, you've been with me. He says, you were just holding my right hand. I'm quoting the, the Psalms. You were just holding my right hand the whole time. This is a very unusual sermon for me to speak to you tonight. It's not what I wanted to, it's not what I wanted to share with you at all. And yet here are all these guys just singing about trust and talking about trust. And, and I really feel like that there's a great battle underway for your destiny and your future. And it has simply to do with what's the root of your heart? What are you going to trust in? And I want to pray for you and then I'm done. Would you bow, would you bow your heads? Listen, I want to put there three, three things. And I want to pray. I want to pray for every person in the room whose faith is dormant. James called that, James called that double-minded. You believe the doctrines. You wouldn't be here on a Monday night if you didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not asking you if you believe the stories and the doctrines and the data. I'm just saying, are you involved in the fray? Are you... Are, have you checked out and gone, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all that stuff about Jesus. I read about that in Sunday school years ago. I'm just saying, if your faith is dormant, please let me pray for you because this is a desperate generation for your faith to be alive again. Or maybe tonight you would give me permission to pray for you in, in, in the sense that the location of your heart is, is in doubters. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of temptation for you right now to trust in the world, to trust in man. And maybe, you're, maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you're disappointed with the way your life is right now. In the midst of your doubt, I'm going to pray for an expanded view of God. Or maybe this is the mystical part. Maybe just what's happening for your heart is a lot of bad Vitamins, a lot of bad nourishment. And what I want to pray is that the miracle that would take place tonight would be the Holy Spirit would just come to the root that is attached to your heart and, and pick it up and plant it deep in the revelation of the goodness of God. And if there's anyone here who would just give me the privilege of praying for you because you're struggling, you're struggling, and you want to see an increase. In that, in that trust God testimony. Would you just lift your hand right now? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for being honest with God. Thank you for being honest with God. Could we stand together? I just want to pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, if there's any advance in your kingdom at all, 
if lost people are found, if sick people are healed, it's because somebody mediates your glory in the earth. We want to be your people of faith. We want to trust in you. And so tonight in our humility and in our honesty, when we acknowledge we, we doubt, we doubt from time to time. Help, we cry out, help us with our unbelief, Lord. And yet, Lord, we're not putting all that responsibility on you. We're doing the very best we can to make sure that the root of our heart is attached to the revelation of the goodness of God. Holy Spirit, would you come right now in this room, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, would you come into this room right now and would you take our heart and would you transplant it so that not just a week from now or a year from now or a decade from now, but for the rest of our existence, we would be able to say, that our, the lean of our life, the, the trust of our heart is in you, O sovereign God, who is good. Lord, we declare before heaven and hell tonight, we will trust in the Lord. Come on, make it your confession. I will trust God. Come on, say it. I will trust God. Say it one more time. I will Trust in the Lord, my strength, <laughs> my redeemer, the glory and the lifter of my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we demonstrate our trust in him by just blessing his name? Can we sing that song that you sang earlier? Can we sing, my heart, I give you my heart. You, you had such an anointing on that. Let's sing that one more time. Let's worship the Lord together. I give you my give you my trust Jesus you are my God you are enough Jesus
this message on video, go to summittogether.com.